Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by community founder John Ferguson as we continue our series called My Story. For more information, please visit us at communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. All right, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Yeah, all right, good. It's great to be here. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, no place I'd rather be this morning than right here, and uh, glad that you chose to join us and celebrate with us here at Community. You know, um, it wasn't long ago, a while back, maybe a year or two ago, that my brother Dave, I think you know my brother Dave, Dave Ferguson, uh, gave me this book, and the title of it is How Will You Measure Your Life? And it's interesting, the book is written by Clayton Christensen, and in this book, Christensen talks about a course that he teaches by the same name as the book title at the Harvard Business School. Uh, Christensen also happens to be uh, an alumnus of Harvard, and the lecture he gives on the last day of the course begins with him talking about what he has observed at his Harvard class reunions. And he describes these reunions as, cast, as, as can't-miss events. He says, you know, they really roll out the red carpet. They have high-powered guest speakers. They have all sorts of entertainment. They're really just fascinating events. And then he begins to talk about what he's experienced at these uh, Harvard-class reunions. And he says, at his five-year reunion, they had a huge turnout. You know, everybody seemed polished and, and prosperous. They all had great jobs. Everyone was working in exotic places. And almost everyone had married spouses that were much better looking than themselves. <laughs> Interesting observation, I thought. Uh, he said, our... Lives seemed destined to be fantastic on almost every level. And then he talked about the 10-year reunion, and he said, you know what, it looked a little different. Uh, Many of his classmates didn't come back for the 10-year reunion, and he said he discovered that despite professional accomplishments, many of them were unhappy. They didn't enjoy what they were doing. Many of them were divorced or were stuck in unhappy marriages. Some were even alienated from their children, and Christensen said, you know, I just assumed it was sort of a, a blip on the screen. Maybe it was a, a, a kind of midlife crisis. But then came the 25-year reunion, and he said the problems were even worse. One of his classmates was Jeffrey Skilling. Yeah, maybe the name sounds familiar. Skilling is now in jail for his role in the Enron scandal from the early 2000s. Sentenced to 24 years for a conspiracy and security fraud. Not only had his life collapsed, his marriage ended in divorce tragic. Uh, Jeff Skilling, whom Christensen knew from Harvard, was a, a, a smart, you know, hardworking. Uh, he would have considered him definitely a family man, but it, it wasn't just Skilling. He said that many of his classmates had family failures, professional struggles, and even criminal behaviors. And then reflecting on all this, Christensen would end the introduction to his lecture with this statement, and he would say this, He said, I know for sure that none of these people graduated with a deliberate strategy to get divorced or lose touch with their children, much less to end up in jail. Yet this is exactly what many of them ended up doing. Many of Christensen's classmates had to be asking, you know, how in the world did I end up here? How in the world did I end up here? And then he would ask the class at Harvard at the end of this lecture, he would say, so what is your strategy for having a successful and meaningful career, a loving relationship with your spouse and family, and staying out of jail? <laughs> great question, huh? And it's a great question because whether you went to Harvard or the School of Hard Knocks, I think it's really easy for us to let life take us somewhere we never intended. 
And so we're in the second week of this series called My Story, terrific series, really enjoyed the beginning last week and excited about the future because I I think it's going to be a life-changing, truly story-altering series for many, many people because I think many of us find us in stories that have taken us to places personally or professionally we never, ever intended to go. Many of us have lived or are living old stories dominated by fear, shame, or failure, but see, that's not the story God wants for us. That's not the story God wants for us. And some just tremendous news is found in the words that we can find from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, a letter he wrote to the church, Christ followers there. And we're going to keep coming back to this over and over again through the course of this series where he said, anyone, all right, last time I checked, anyone means anyone, (laughs) anybody who belongs to Christ has become a new person, a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And see, this truth, what I love about it is it reminds us that when we find our way back to God, God begins to write a new story with your life, a brand new story, a story of faith and and freedom and redemption and, and promise, a brand new story. Now, for many of us who find ourselves someplace we never intended to go, I think if we go back and we, we begin to kind of retrace the steps of our lives, we will discover that the place we began to veer off course oftentimes had to do with an addiction. Oftentimes, I think it had to do with an addiction, either an addiction of our own or maybe someone else's. And that addiction just began to kind of seem to sort of derail everything. Would you say that's true? Some of you are nodding your heads. Would you say that's true? I realize that some of you are at a place where you're ready to admit that, while others may not be. When it comes to addiction, I think there's two kinds of people, those who have an addiction and know it and those who have an addiction and don't know it. But you know what? Addiction really is simply anything that has mastered you, anything that has control over you. And you know, sometimes I think it's seemingly innocent behavior that leads, a repeated innocent behavior that leads to a dark place where we find ourselves mastered by something that we didn't even initially maybe recognize as dangerous. <laughs> There's all sorts of addictions or addictive behaviors. How many of you know somebody who's addicted to control? Don't raise the, person that, the hand of the person next to you. That would be very controlling, okay? <laughs> yeah, control is an addiction. Or how about caffeine? How many of you have a dealer named Starbucks? Yeah, if you're raising your hand and there's a cup in it, <laughs> chances are that is you. <laughs> no, I don't have an addiction to caffeine. No, what is he talking about? How about work? Anybody think about work almost all the time? Anybody here have a conference call on vacation? Some of us are addicted to working out. I know when you look at my physique, you were thinking that's my problem. (laughs) This just all happened by itself. Isn't that incredible? (laughs) Did somebody say, aw? That's that's like worse than laughter. That's like pity. (laughs) Wow. Anybody addicted to technology? Raise your iPhone. (laughs) How many of you have ever checked your smartphone while you were in the bathroom? Don't raise your hand, please. Just confess you have an addiction. (laughs) How many of you have checked your iPhone in the last three minutes? But, I mean, we can be addicted to food. We can be addicted to gossip. I mean, Netflix, right? All sorts of things. The truth is all of us struggle with an addiction of one kind or another. And these addictions can lead us to places we really never intended to go. 
I mean, nobody ever said, you know, I have a remarkably bright future. I just got accepted to the college of my choice. I think I'll get addicted to heroin. No, nobody ever thought that or said that. No one has ever thought, you know, life is so good. I think I'll smoke my first cigarette, become a chain smoker, and then die from cancer. No, absolutely nobody ever announced, my spouse is awesome, my kids are terrific, I think I'll get addicted to porn and wreak havoc on my family and marriage. Of course not. No one ever said any of those things. Yet it's so easy to let our addictions take us to places we never, ever intended to go, right? I mean, even the Apostle Paul, look what he said. He admitted there were parts of his life that at times were totally out of control. We don't know exactly what it was, but there was something that had control over him because at times he said this. He said, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Feel familiar? Even the Apostle Paul knew what it was like to end up in a place he never intended to go, doing things he never really wanted to do. And for those of you who might still not be sure, let me just ask you six simple questions, okay? Six simple questions. And if you answer yes to two or more of these questions, chances are you have an addictive behavior or you're addicted to something, okay? Six simple questions, all right? Are you ready? All right, here we go. First one is this. Do your family and friends say you have a problem with it? And don't just let these be questions that are on a screen and not respond. Go ahead in your own mind. Respond to these questions. Do your family and friends say you have a problem with it? Second question. Do you continue with it even though you are hurting people? Third question. Do you arrange your schedule around it? Fourth question, would it be hard to go a week without it? Have you tried? Next question, is it isolating you? And then last question, are you trying to keep it a secret? Are you trying to keep it a secret? And again, if you answered yes to, actually if you answered yes to any of these It could be an addiction. If you answer yes to two or more, chances are you have an addiction to something that's pulling you away from the story that God wants to write for your life. So what do we do? I mean, what what do we do when we recognize that something is mastering us, that we are addicted to something? I mean, how do we get out? How do we break free well, first, let me say this. Addictions are incredibly complex. I mean, they, they rise out of very complicated emotions, motives, and behaviors. And in no way do I want to suggest that there are three easy steps to overcome whatever it is that has mastered you. But I do want you to know this. And I want you to know that there is hope. There is hope. There, there is hope in Jesus. And God wants to write a new story of freedom for your life. He really does. I want to take a look at something else that the Apostle Paul said concerning things that have mastered us. In Romans 6, he says this, and when you hear the word sin here, I want you to kind of insert the word addiction or addicted, addictive behavior, okay? When you hear sin, think addiction or addictive behavior. He says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, okay, there's that word, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin, as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to what? Yeah, life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. 
For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but you are under grace. Paul says, do not let sin reign in your body. And you see, the path to freedom, the path to freedom starts with what? It starts with what? Yeah, admitting you have a problem. Admitting that some addiction, some craving has mastered you is, is in essence, like Paul says, it's reigning in your life. So in Paul's words, is, you know, is there an area in your life where you have let sin reign? I mean, so many times we try to diminish it or rationalize it or, you know, kind of diminish our addictions. But one way or another, the problem with that is we're refusing to take responsibility. We're refusing to take responsibility. Uh, one of our campus pastors, Dave Shea, told me a story about how he got a call from someone who was in distress and wanted to meet because they needed help. And so Dave decided to go and, and meet with this person. But when he arrived, it was clear to Dave that this person was still under the influence. And in the course of their conversation, this person went on and on about how much he wanted to change. And, and Dave wanted to help this guy find freedom, but admits he wasn't sure what to do. And so Dave called his friend Tom. Tom was an alcoholic who had been sober for three years and was someone that Dave trusted in these kind of situations. And Dave told Tom about his friend who he was working with, who was trying to help in whatever way he could. And the first question Tom asked Dave was this. He said, is he complaining about how life has been unfair to him? Tom asked Dave, is this guy complaining about how life has been unfair to him? Dave thought to himself, that's weird. How did Tom know? Yeah, actually he is, Dave replied. Then Tom asked, well, is he talking about how his family has ripped him off? And again, Dave quietly responded, yeah. And then Tom said this, I'm not coming over. It's a waste of your time and it's a waste of my time. He hasn't hit bottom yet. Now, that might seem like a harsh response, but you know what? That's actually a loving response. That might sound like a harsh response, but that's actually a loving response. And what Dave learned that day is what we need to learn. And that is, until I admit I have a problem, until I come face-to-face with the truth that I am ultimately responsible for my own choices, for letting sin reign in me, I will never, ever find freedom. I'll never find freedom. And again, I know this is harsh, especially if you have a loved one, something you genuinely care about who is struggling with an addiction. But the most loving thing you can do for that person is help that person face the truth. And I've learned over the years that there's really nothing you can do for the person who doesn't want to admit it or own it. Someone once said, no one can pick your bottom for you. You have to pick your own bottom. That was supposed to be comic relief. (laughs) I'm doing the best I can. (laughs) Put that one on Twitter. But you know, to allow God to write a new story with your life, you have to admit you have a problem, that something has mastered you. And you know, the friends that I I have in recovery, they tell me that uh, admitting you have a problem is 80% of the battle. 80% of the battle. It's the biggest step on the road to freedom. So let me just ask you. Let me just ask you. Is that a step you need to take today? Is that a step you need to take today? Is it? You know, once you admit it, once you own it, the second step on the path to freedom is this. Let God fill the void. Yeah, let God fill the void in your life that you're trying to fill with other cravings. You know, the second step in the 12 steps to recovery is we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That's what this is all about. We've got to let God fill that void. Paul talks about it this way. He says, do not offer 
any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. Blaise Pascal, the famous philosopher and mathematician, once said this. He said, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. You see, we've got to let God fill that void that only he can fill. Tell you what, turn to somebody near you and say, let God fill that void. Go ahead, just do it. Let God fill that void. Yeah. You know, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he, he writes about our cravings. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with what? Be filled with the? Yeah, be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk on wine or high on pot or binge on food or whatever your addiction of choice may be. But instead, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. In the original language of Paul's letter, that's a continual process. It's a being filled over and over again. It's not like we get filled one time and then we stop. No, this is a continual infilling over and over again, a continuous filling. See, your, your, your addiction is trying to fill a craving, a void that only God can fill. And we got to let the Spirit of God fill that void. You know, read Scripture. Spend time with others who are on their way back to God. Sing your favorite worship song. Pray. Whatever it takes to let God fill that void. you got to admit you have a problem. Let God fill the void and then cut ties. Cut ties with the people and places that are leading you to your addiction. Again, back to Paul. He writes such practical wisdom. He says, do not be misled. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. I've heard it said this way, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Yeah, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And this is not about blaming other people or places for the choices you make. This is just common sense. But you know what? So many people, they get stuck here. They get stuck right here. You know, they say, these are my friends. These are the people that I want to help find their way back to God. They even, you know, kind of spiritualize it, which is hard to kind of, you know, defend. I get that. But, you know, in the early stages of your journey to freedom, there are going to be people who want you to live your old story because that's the story they know. They aren't ready for your new story because they're not ready for a new story for themselves. But it's not just people you'll have to cut ties with. There may be places or things, too. I mean, if you have a porn addiction, how you use your computer or your smartphone will need to change. Maybe you saw the cover of Time magazine just this week. Reminds us how pervasive the addiction to pornography is. If you have a gambling addiction, there are certain places you can't go. If you have an addiction to alcohol, there are certain functions you may just not be able to attend. You see, to allow God to write a new story with your life, you have to cut old ties but you won't be able to stop on your own. You won't have to be on your own. And God will provide new people, new places that reflect the love of God to you, people who can encourage you, support you, and stand with you in the hard times. One of the smartest statements I've heard on addiction is this. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. I love that. Because our addictions isolate us. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. You may find that connection in a small group right here. There are many recovering addicts in our church that will tell you that their small group has played a huge role in their path to recovery. And one of the best places to find these new ties is in support and recovery groups. And if you look inside your program, I want to draw your attention to that right now. 
If you look inside your program, you'll see the second story down. It says, tell us your story. Visit communitychristian.org, my story. And we're telling around, if, if this talk, if these talks have prompted you to say, you know what, I do have a problem. I need to make some adjustments. I need help. We want to offer you the help. We have support and recovery groups that meet right here at the yellow box. And there's a, a connection, a, a place for you to, to let someone know. Do that today. And we will provide resources for you. We'll do whatever we can to help. And again, I want to in no way communicate that there's a quick fix. This is an easy three-step process. That's not what we're saying at all. But here's what I do want to be clear about, okay? Here's what I want to be clear about. Don't miss this. There is hope. There is hope. There is hope for a new story in Jesus. It's just like the story that Jesus is writing with Hector's life. Here's Hector's story. My name is Hector, and this is my story. I grew up in Puerto Rico with an abusive father that was always uh, drinking and uh, abusing my mother. I said to myself, I don't want to grow up like my father. So one day I was looking over the ocean, and I said to myself, one day I want to go that way. And at the age of 13, that dream came through. I arrived in uh, America. I married a girl, beautiful girl at that. And uh, we were going to study, and we had a lot of fun together. Unfortunately, she ended up getting pregnant. And due to the circumstances, uh, we ended up having to give her up for adoption. After that, my life just went downhill from there and started drinking and going into uh, the speed and smoking more marijuana and getting into a lot of trouble by the law. I used to ask myself why, but the thing is, once you get involved into the drug thing, if you think you can stop, and it's, it's not, you can't do it on your own. I did not want to go back to Puerto Rico, unfortunately, because of my drinking and the trouble that I got. Now, the people that I was living with had no choice but to send me back. A year after being sent back to Puerto Rico, my girlfriend came back to live with me in Puerto Rico. And Puerto Rico, I, we ended up having a child. Uh, we ended up getting married. But uh, during to my alcohol problem, she could no longer deal with it, so she came back to the United States. I came back to the United States to live with my uh, wife, and then I got a job, was paying the bills, and I was making it. But every day, I would stop at the liquor store and buy a 24-pack, and I would drink that all night by myself. What bothered me is that I continued to drink, and I, had, I couldn't find a way out. My life was no longer manageable, you know, and I had a kid, and I didn't want my kid to see what I saw my parents, and so I decided to, you know, go to AA, and you got to follow the 12 steps, otherwise you're going to end up hitting bottom, and that's exactly what I did. You know, when I hit bottom, I needed help. And AA was there for me. 
through the grace of God, I've been sober for 39 years, and it's because of him. So now we have three kids. The first one that we gave up for adoption, after 30 years of not knowing her, we were able to find her and reunite with her. And when we got to the house, I looked and I see my daughter coming out of the house, and they look identical. And she's coming like this, and then my wife is doing the same thing. Ah, they're both, both doing the same thing. And to me, I mean, I stood back. I was the last one that got hugged. But I stood back and I took it all in. And I says, thank you, God. And that's when I started crying. <laughs> it's a new feeling, but only through God. moment we're going to celebrate communion and our new life in Jesus. Our new life in Jesus is made possible by his death and resurrection. I just want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus overcame death. He was dead, buried in the tomb, cold, and came back to life. And through his power, you can overcome whatever it is that has mastered you today. The bread reminds us of his body. The, the juice reminds us of his blood that was shed. I don't know, maybe you're here today and you realize that you're in a place you never intended to be. And I want to say to you today that that is your old story. Because I want to go back to that, what Paul said. Anyone, anybody, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. You are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Folks, God has a new story for your life. He wants to write a new story with your life. And through Jesus, you can live into that new story you're always meant to live. Your addictions, your cravings, they are not you. They are not you. You were created for a life of freedom. And we want to be here to help. We want to, want to do whatever we can to support you and encourage you. At the end of the service, there'll be people up front that are, that are going to be willing to pray with you. They'll be willing to help guide you in the right direction. Talk to John, myself, Sherry, Sue, small group directors that can point you in places, give you resources. You're not going to be in this alone. Let today be the preface of your new story. A beautiful story of freedom. A beautiful story of freedom written by our loving God. The ushers are going to come forward. They're going to pass the, the bread and the, and the juice. And as it's passed, go ahead and just, just hold on to it, okay? And, and then John's going to come up and he's going to lead us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, okay? Just hold on to the bread and the juice as we celebrate communion together. Will you pray with me? Father God, we, we come to you today and uh, God, we confess that uh, one way or another, every single one of us, uh, Every single one of us were addicted. We're mastered by, by things and stuff that we pursue that we know just we allow to take the place of you in our life. And so, Father God, we just admit that. We confess that to you, that, that none of us have our act together, that we're all broken, we're all messed up, and that we need you desperately, and that without you we are nothing. 
so we confess that. But at the same time, Father, we claim the promise that anyone who belongs to you has become a new person. We may not feel it. And so that's why we claim and hold on to this promise that the old life is gone, a new life has begun. God, we ask you to fill the void in our life with your spirit. Surround us with people who can encourage us and support us. And most of all, we thank you for Jesus, who's incredible act of love and grace when he went to the cross and died and came back to life gives us hope that we too can overcome whatever has mastered us. We pray this and celebrate communion in your son Jesus' name. Amen.